This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today I have a special guest. Her name is Erica Hauser. She is the CIO of a company called Teradata, a huge publicly traded company, which you might not even know about, but it powers just about everything you do. Erica, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. You know, I think a lot of our audience uses a product or service that's powered by Teradata, but they might actually not know what your company does. We just joked about it. Oftentimes, a lot of these data companies, unless you're in the industry, you don't really know what they are. But if you could, please tell us what is Teradata and what does it do? Sure, sure. Happy to do that. And <laughs> and I'll start by saying I've been with Teradata for three years. Love it here. Fabulous company. Love the charter, the culture of the company. But I'll admit, I didn't know what it was until a few years before <laughs> I either. So, so uh, your audience is not alone in that. So let me start with a little bit of context. We all fly on airplanes. Pretty much everybody who's going to be your audience flies on airplanes. Six of the six top airlines use Teradata. Okay. We all have healthcare providers. Five of the top five healthcare providers use Teradata. Six of the six top banks, three of the four top retailers. So most of us have Teradata somewhere in our lives behind the scenes. We don't know about it, but it's very much it's there. It's pervasive. Our customers, as you just heard, are some of the leaders in their respective industries. So what is Teradata? Teradata is a data warehouse, data platform, and analytics company. So you think about a consumer packaged goods company, you think about a bank, you think about an airline, they have all this data, massive, massive amounts of data that they have to process real time to keep their industry running. When airlines have flight delays, they need all that data near real time to figure out how do they shuffle, where do they move planes, how do they reroute their employees to get their schedule back on track. That runs on Teradata. Our goal is to improve people's lives, companies' lives, but ultimately people's lives, people like you and me, through the power of data. How do we use data well? How do we use it ethically? How do we use it responsibly? But how do we use all that data that's out there to make our lives better? That's our goal. And for our audience, give us an idea of what makes enterprise data so special or how it needs to be handled so differently. Because sheer size, I think, doesn't quite uh, paint the right picture because I wanted to share a little bit of my personal experience and moving to a higher data application and what I experienced using a public cloud. And then I'd love for you to kind of pick up from there and share with our audience, like, why do companies even need this? So- Mission's a media company. And then we started making some video content. And with the cameras today, and for anyone out there that's shot footage in 4K, okay, the files that creates are massive, just massive files. They occupy your memory card in just no time. It feels like you're constantly changing cards. And then so if you're a media company, you need to upload this to cloud and you think, oh, I have fiber up. It's going to go up fast. That's not the case. Uh, some of the public cloud services, even if you were to use their storage services, they have write speeds of maybe 100 megabits per second. So it still took days, literally days to even get it to the cloud. So forget it real time. <laughs> like, like it took days. And I was surprised because I was like, we have a fiber connection. Like this, this is not what I expected. 
And so it's not until you kind of get in that game of moving a lot of data that you realize what you actually need. And so then I started realizing that, man, enterprises probably, I can't even imagine what they need. How do you help these enterprises process anything in real time? Because I'm just talking about some 4K footage. I know that they're sending more than that to you. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. And that is truly one of Teradata's strengths. So Teradata is very innovative, very cutting edge. Again, you just heard me talk about the customers we support, but it's got a rich 40 year history of innovation. So one of our sweet spots is the ability to not only consume that data, but enable all those transactions running in parallel. And so we often talk about, you know, there's your primary cluster of where you store your data, but then you've got your compute clusters, which is where all those transactions are running. And so it's really in the cloud-based design of our product to make sure that we can consume that data, that we've curated that data so it's accessible to the users in a usable manner, but then also breaking off when appropriate to the compute clusters so all the loading transactions are happening in a slightly different place than all the transactions that are hitting it to consume that data. But that is our strength. That's really our competitive advantage is enabling all those transactions by the user of the data to be hitting the system at the same time without a performance hit. Yet at the same time in the background, there's new data loading, data refresh going on all the time. So without a doubt, it's our sweet spot. It's part of our technology that's grown over the years. And we're super proud to say that our product offerings are cloud native. Obviously, they've transitioned over 40 years. That really enables that to scale with the demands of the customer and what's going on. There you go. And from my research, I was doing Teradata not only is software, but it also helps with, does it still help on the hardware side of things? Or has that been, that is, or that's no longer part of uh, the business? Definitely, it's still part of the business. And again, our goal, right, going back to our primary purpose, improve people's lives through data. Well, every customer we have, someone on-prem, some are a little bit slower in moving to the cloud. Some want to keep certain data on-premise in their data center where they feel it's more secure and they have more control, but then other data they want in the cloud. And so that is one of our offerings is really that hybrid model. We go. meet the customer where they are, we enable them where they are, and then we show them the capabilities and the offerings that enable them to do more than they thought. So it's really a both and. Software is our primary offering to help people manage their data, but we do that on cloud, we do it on premise, we will meet the customer where needed. Give us an idea of what that looks like when it comes time to like working with those customers, because you just mentioned everyone's going to have a different setup. And there was a push. I want to because I worked at a cloud networking company uh, back in 2017 to 2020 timeframe. And there was a huge push at the time. Everyone, they were like, you got to go cloud native. You got to go one cloud. Everything's going to be there. And it was kind of like this, almost like this, like push to standardize so that we could, you know, kind of made it easier we've thought, but we know that that didn't actually happen, that people are still going to, I call it Frankensteining, but they're going to use the best of what they have available within their budget, no matter where that is. And so you just can't push anyone into one model. Uh, everyone's going to use what they think is best. Therefore, when you come in, give us an idea of what it looks like for your team, 
how do you guys scope, I guess? I don't even know how to best describe this. It feels like it's going to be a huge process just to identify how to, how you can help before you actually do the help. Because you mentioned airlines, banking, automotive, healthcare. Well, last time I checked, none of those companies can go down for even like, you know. They can't. A, a second. Yeah. <laughs> they, can't go, they can't be down for seconds. <laughs> I an ATM machine, which we've all done. But if it happened frequently, you walked up to an ATM machine and you can't get your cash. It's right? frustrating. It's very frustrating. And, and, and so sometimes they're just doing backups and updates as we all do. But if that wasn't consistently reliable, our economy would not operate as it That's does, right. right? Our lives would change. And so through the power of data, we help keep those ATM machines up and running. <laughs> so they're processing that. They know what's going on. They know that you took money out, not me. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Give us an idea of what it takes to, I guess, even begin to scope these jobs because everyone's going to be different. Those, I, I feel like you'll never meet a customer who's got like a same install package that someone else had. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's exactly it. And so we've got, um, you certainly, we have a sales team. We also have professional services. We also work with some of the biggest partners in the IT industry, because that is a very important part of the motion is really getting in and understanding from a customer perspective. Let's start first and foremost, what are your goals? What are your business problems? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? That's where we need to start because anything we do with a customer has to be anchored in. What are they trying to achieve as a business? Now, we may find things that they can do that they didn't even think to ask for. I always think about Henry Ford. We don't want faster horses. We want cars. But it has to start with what are their goals? And then it really is a process of where are you today? We often yeah. talk about data sprawl, right? You've been a CIO, I've been a CIO for a couple of years and in the industry for 30 plus. There was a time where many of us would, what I would call daisy chain, I needed access to a set of data. I couldn't get access fast enough. We would make a copy of it. Now you've got two copies of the truth. <laughs> Guess what? Some of that is still out there. So mm. what are the business goals first and foremost? And then really understanding their data sprawl. What data marts, data lakes do they have in their ecosystem? Do they know where their sources of data are? Do they have a good sense of lineage? Sometimes the answer is not. But <laughs> that is part of the upfront work is really understanding this. And so we talk quite a bit about, you know, one of your questions was about learnings. So there's a little bit of take the time, understand the goals, understand the ecosystem, map it all out. Start to have some wins, some quick wins, do things in a non-production way, try out your models, do your data analysis, do your data prep, get those wins. And then as you get those wins, you learn faster and you just accelerate, accelerate, accelerate. But without a doubt, every customer is unique. Again, that is what our, our advantage is. We want to work with you closely. We want to understand and we, your success is our success. If our customers don't get those measurable benefits, we're not successful. So we're very much in the boat with you driving towards that success. Yeah, that sounds much better than a typical SaaS company. You know, I, when I say typical SaaS, because we've definitely had some like, you know, more consumer SaaS customers on our show and they'll talk about how, you know, they want like this nice onboarding and it's like, the reality is what you what your company is doing probably cannot be done without some level of consultative expertise. I don't think you could. You know, Terry Data is never ever going to launch a WYSIWYG where it's like connect up this thing. I like that. And when you brought up that point of like, you know, first of all, it's complicated to even know where your data lies. 
I don't think people outside, like people listen to this show from all different industries. And whenever I meet someone who's cloud native and built a software company recently, they always have a hard time conceptualizing. What do you mean you don't know where your data is? It's like, I'm telling you right now, most big companies have no clue how many different silos all their information is. Um, and then, so you guys get to help map that out. <laughs> and I'll add another layer of complexity, right? There's one, knowing where your data is, but two, if you think about the evolution of digital transformation, which is now a never ending journey, we're not gonna be done. There were some companies, well, they have more than one ERP system, right? Your, yep. your overall financial supply chain planning system. Maybe I have systems that were based on geography. Maybe I have systems that were based on business line within the same company. So now, yes, I know where my data is, but maybe my data sources don't align. How do I bring all that data together into a common curated data set that's used across the enterprise? Again, it can be done. Of course, it can be done. It's done all the time. But again, that's where that human factor, that consultative matters. And each of our customers may have different strengths in their data architecture team and their data mapping team and how they look at their data. So again, our job is to understand where you are, show you what's possible and partner with you to get to those measured outcomes that every business wants. You know, when you were mentioning that, I actually started getting some nightmares of because I was a consultant before I was at Mission and in software. And um, I was at Acco Brands. Acco Brands is the maker of the Swingline Stapler, which was made famous in the movie Office Space. For those of you listening, Milton's Red Stapler, the Swingline <laughs> is made by Acco. And they had just had acquired GBC and they were running two different ERPs. And I remember I was like, what's the plan for migration? Like, we don't have one right now. We're just going to use two for the next year. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so what they wanted, what my job was to create the training so that the GBC side could understand ACO sales and ACO could understand GBC sales. And I was like, this, this training, you're going to, it's going to take a year to make, and then you're going to just what, do what with it? <laughs> the plan was literally to maintain too. <laughs> and if you think about, you know, some of the companies in the industry today, over a hundred billion in revenue. Yeah. Right. There are companies out there that will and always have more than one ERP for good reasons. But if I'm an executive at the top of the company and I'm trying to understand what's going on for my company, both operationally and in an executive level, I need a way to bring that data together to curate that data and have that single source of truth. And that's what we love to do to drive that success. Well, you know, in the way the industry is shifting, and it looks like Teradata is shifting with it, this is going to become a bigger need more than ever. So in the if I look at the Twitter feed of Teradata, and anyone can take a look, it talks a lot about 40% of the workday across all industries are going to be impacted by LLMs. It's very clear that Teradata is the most, you know, is going towards supporting the AI goals of just about, I think, every every company out there wants to implement AI in some way. What does that mean for you and your organization? Because- AI, as we know, is a data monster. It it can't come up with yep. anything unless it has all of the information to start with. And then only then can it make a good or relevant suggestion. So you're talking about all these systems. You've got to map it. You're going to have to ingest it, transform it. But you're probably also going to have to send it back to those same systems in some form of usable information or insight so that the person can action it. So for example, you know, we use the airline industry a lot in this as an example, but like even someone that says, hey, I want AI to better route the luggage trucks on the tarmac. Well, that has to know in real time what in, what bags are on 
And then it has to also tell the driver, right? So if I'm on, I'm the guy on the ground, like you got to tell me in real time too, because what good is it to give me a report tomorrow? Like, oh, you, this is how you could have optimized that route. I'm like, I don't know. I already put it on the plane. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us what that's doing to your company and how Teradata is thinking about how they're going to be able to solve for this, because this demand does not appear. This, this is going to massive demand. This is transformational uh, shift. Completely true. And, and there's two big things that are going on right now. One, the volume of data is exploding. The other thing that's going on is AI as, as an industry, as a capability has been around for years, right? We all mm. know that predictive analytics, but this whole notion of generative AI, LLM is really bringing the conversation back to the forefront and really driving that. And so again, we want to work with our customers and I'll, I'll use a, a, a auto manufacturing example right? They want to improve their manufacturing process. So they put in sensors along the manufacturing line that can look at the car and see the welds or see how things are built or see the gaps, right? So 3.2 billion sensors processed daily. 3.2 billion. And this is for one car manufacturer. (laughs) Obviously, there's more than one. And so 9 million different models had to be trained on the sensor collects the data. Now, how do you consume that data to know what's right and you know what's wrong? So sensor's just bringing back bits and bytes. Correct. So now you have to train that information to turn that around and give the information back to defect were there any, in this case, bad welds on the car. Yeah. And, it, and like we said, like that the dream state, of course, is that in, the manufacturer wants to know this in real time. Like, why would I want to put parts... Because uh, if, if for those of you that have never seen how a car gets built, it's like it's it starts with a chassis, a welded chassis, and they start stacking stuff on it. Of course, if you stack stuff on it, and after I put all the stuff on, you come back and tell me, "Hey, there's a bad weld." Erica, <laughs> put the car together. <laughs> I want to know when you spot it that it's bad. You can't tell me after I put all the stuff on. <laughs> and you can imagine the 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 system that a car manufacturer uses to then consume that data and assess and stop the line because they have to take a car off the line because it's been welded poor, right? Versus a retailer, an online retailer that's trying to consume real-time data about how do people interact with their website? How many clicks do they go in? What do they like? What do they not like, right? And that's another example where we have a retailer, 160,000 products that they sell. By (laughs) by using Teradata, their sales uplift, 28%. What was causing the the 28% uplift? Just really being able to understand how their consumers were interacting. What did they like? What did they not like? And really getting that detailed analytics. Again, it was an on, it's a digital retailer. So being able to track all those interactions. Did they abandon because something went wrong when they were trying to check out? Did mm-hmm. they only go to the first page? Did they click in, right? And so gathering all that data. So each each consumer of Teradata is going to have different business goals. They're going to have different ways they want to consume that data. The power of Teradata is we're very flexible. We're very open. 
So we create this massive data set. We'll partner with you on training the data models, defining the data models, but we allow developers, the people running these systems that are going to take the data and consume it, you can work in many, many languages with Teradata. It's a very open system. And so we partner with you again on what are you trying to achieve? Here's the data set. How do we capture it? How do we train the models together? But to your point, it then has to go back into a system owned by the company we're working with to make take those actions. And what does that mean for, I guess, you and your team? Because is, is it having an impact on the way that your team has to work, how your team has to scope about uh, scope projects, how your team has to think about developing the next level of whether it's software or process or uh, you know anything in between? Because you your company is fundamentally changing the way it's going to yeah, serve customers yeah. as well. Because you're answering new questions. I mean, you so your new products, yeah. new answers, like new system, everything's new, right? So tell us what that's happening to for you and your team. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and being in a, you know, I've been in tech companies as an IT leader in tech companies for all of my career. And it's always a very fun juxtaposition between the product development organization that is developing those products that are going out to the customers. But then your IT team is often an internal consumer of those products. And so as we think about my team as customer zero, we partner closely with a product team as an early adopter, giving them feedback, helping them understand our experience with it, whether that's going to our support organization or our product organization. We have a very tight and productive partnership there where they'll say, hey, go go try this out, go play with this, give us this feedback. And so that's really great. And one of the things that I've learned about this industry, when you know you're sitting at this the CIO role, and you possibly have to, like you said, procure equipment and network and bandwidth and services that help make the actual core product work, there's often physical limitations as well. So, like a good example was people when they buy lines because they need to move massive amounts of data. Like if you don't have enough capacity, of course you can't move it. And there's actually like, so, so people don't think about that a lot of times, like there's actual physical limitations. Give me an idea of like, do you see, and I always like asking this question, do you see where like your product core teams, like they're asking you for things that are just like actually not physically possible where you're like, oh, well, we, we need, we need to go to our suppliers and be like, Hey, you guys got to increase the capacity here. Or, you know, it's got to be able to tolerate heat up to here or what's going, you know, how does that help? How does that relationship work? Because I think in a product development cycle, uh, we often talk to different CTOs who don't seem to recognize or acknowledge that there are actual physical limits to what equipment can do today. Because, you know, you your mind can imagine all kinds of stuff, but then it's like, okay, wait, well, uh, this is all the capacity we have, the network storage, like we need more to do this. Yeah. And, and, and the beauty, the beauty of the, the cloud, right, is it does allow that very flexible add-on and compute. But as we talked about earlier, software company but one of our core offerings is hybrid. So we still offer our, our hardware to go with the software as well as running it on the cloud environments. So there's definitely some interaction there that my IT or my procurement team gets pulled into as we envision, you know, how is this going to work in the future? Are there capabilities that we need from suppliers that they're not yet ready to offer? 
Do we need to go look for different suppliers to work with? And sometimes those are software suppliers. Sometimes they're, you know, hardware offerings or how do we change that up or how do we work on the design to optimize running our software on their hardware? So that's all very, very much a part of the conversation. And in the IT industry, the tech industry is moving so quickly, not only in innovations, but as we think about something like AI and ethical considerations and And how do we think about making sure that we're doing good with data and that we don't allow data and especially the new gen AI and the large language models to do less than good? There's new regulations, there's new considerations. And Teradata really prides itself on being one of the top ethical companies. We've received that award for the last 13 years. And so we're not only meeting, we're trying to exceed those regulations to make sure we're at the leading edge of How do we ensure we're offering products in an ethical manner, thinking forward about what's coming in the future? Yeah, we we saw there's anyone who's been following news knows that the the government is possibly going to get involved. Like this is going to become the next big serious consideration. I have a different question to ask you. And this is something I ask different leaders in AI or people that are starting to build more AI capabilities. How do you envision teaching an AI that the, the information it has is wrong? Because I think a lot of people know that, hey, I saw a thing about how, for example, ChatGPT3 got actually less accurate in answering mathematical equations over time because people kept feeding it bad information. You know what I mean? Like, So for example, if I feed an AI model that two plus two is six, how does it know that I'm wrong? <laughs> right? Because data quality, I think, is going to be a concurrently a big problem yes. too, because yes. I don't know how, whose, whose responsibility this is going to be. Because if you give it, if you give poor data to a good LLM, will you get the outcome you want? Probably not. You know what I mean? And how does it know it's not accurate? Yeah. And I, I love your example of bad data. <laughs> two plus two is six, you know, at the very core of AI, whether it's predictive AI, generative AI, right. Which was where we're all going at the very core of that is your data. So the model is reading the data set you give it. Yeah. So that is a critical part of this. Do you do you know the data set the model's reading? Is the quality of that data set what it needs to be to do the analysis, the predictive analysis you're giving it? And so part of that is the data that you own and you house inside of Teradata. As you pull those data sources in, as you curate that data, as you take your multiple ERPs and curate (laughs) that to be the version of the truth, right? All that data that's coming in that has to be designed in a way that you trust that data and you believe it's high quality data. Now, one of the beautiful things of LLM is you can bring in external sources of data, but that's where it's really important for the human piece of this, right? AI, generative AI, it's just a tool. You have to keep the humans in there. If you're bringing in external data sources, are they trusted? Are they validated? As you start to turn on your new models, you need a human in there validating and assessing and ensuring, especially as you're training the models, that you're getting the output you expect. I mean, I think we've all seen in the news that if you just read everything on the internet... (laughs) There's some bias there, right? You're going to have outcomes yeah. that do not reflect perhaps the truth. So that data set, it's a great example. You, as the person who's turning on a large language model, 
you must know, do I trust my data set? Do I know what my data set is? Because, and I did, not my quote, I read this somewhere and I don't know who said it, artificial intelligence. If you don't know what your data set is, you're just going to get artificial output. Yeah. So data is at the very, very core. And for Teradata, right, I mean, this is right in our sweet spot. We're very excited to be thought leaders on this next wave of innovation around generative AI. But we will be very clear that your data set, that's that's the foundation, that's the critical critical piece of this, as well as keeping the humans in there and ensuring that those humans are really thinking about trust and ethics as they're doing that. Do you see a future or do you see in the future, is that going to be someone's role? Like data quality becomes like its own role because the more we move towards this, uh, you know, decision-making off of high quality data, the more that's the reality. Like the the data quality will now be your, uh, I guess, weakest link is the best way to say it. Because if you don't, if you don't have a great way to bring accurate information into your model, everything else is kind of moot. (laughs) It's a great question. And I think that depends on, your company and where you are today and the change you need to drive, right? There was a time, I don't know, 10 years ago where they said the CIO role was going to go away. It was no longer needed. And <laughs> they proclaimed that different roles were going to take over the CIO role. To me, does there need to be an increased focus in, let's just call it many corporations on data? Yes. The data universe is going to grow by 10x, right? And so as we think about that, should there be an increased focus on data, data quality, ensuring your data without a doubt? Does it, do you need to have a chief data officer? Probably depends on your company, but do you need an increased focus on your data, your data sources, your data quality, and how are we using that data, whether it's predictive analytics, generative analytics? Without a doubt, yes. Yes. Data fuels the economy. We know that. It's yeah. growing exponentially. Most companies are going to need an increased focus there. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I, th- I see this as the new role. And I also see, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The more I'm around AI, the more I think people will, you know, because there's always that fear. Of, well, we won't need people. It's like, that's not true at all. I keep seeing case and case and case where if you just trust, but don't verify kind of concept, you won't know when things have gone awry. Um, my favorite case, by the way, is there was an attorney, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. There was an attorney who cited all these cases to defend their their client. And it turns out that he used, uh, I believe chat GPT might've been another AI, but um, many of the cases he cited were fictional and he didn't double check. Like, and he didn't double check. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, he's going to post likely be disbarred, I think, and lose his license. Cause he, he literally submitted to a judge <laughs> as evidence, <laughs> fictional cases. And I think on that point, and, and, you know, to me, this next wave of innovation around AI is very exciting, right? It's just, it is going to change the jobs of a large percentage of the population in corporate America. It's going to change the jobs. Your job is going to be different. As you just said, you'll use a large language model to do things that take a lot of manual time and effort today. But that then, you, one, you have a responsibility to read through it, validate it, assess it as you train your model. But then it now frees you up to do other things. Instead of spending all your time typing on a keyboard and copy pasting and doing whatever it is, now you can look at the output and you can think about what are the implications of this? How do we use this information, these insights to drive more good for the company, more good for the world? So I think jobs are going to change dramatically. I don't know that jobs are going to go away. But they're going to evolve and they're going to change. 
It's a next evolution in how we work. We've had them in the past, and this is just another one. You know, where I'm most excited for is what you already cited as an example is the ability to spot defects in manufacturing in addition to health uh, faster. So for example, medicine is one of those fields where it's like you are a byproduct of what you've experienced, right? And so there are always those edge cases of medicine where because the doctor, your doctor simply has not seen your case, they misdiagnose it. But imagine the future when, I don't know how this comes to be, but I'm just going to go skip to the good part, which is <laughs> you get your whatever tests and scans and you're going off of unbiased whole collections of data where they can quickly see disease states significantly faster. Uh, let's use cancer, for example. We Everyone knows the earlier cancer is detected, the more likely you are to be treated. But so many times people misdiagnose or they don't think of it as a problem because they can't test to that molecular or microscopic level. So the is there a future where all of this stuff gets detected just as quickly as a weld can get detected as miswelded? I, I don't see why not. And, and that's where things can really change for, for all of humanity. And I think the ethics and the culture are a, a, critical, a critical part of that. So as we start to bring all this information and make it available, so a doctor really has access to you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of doctors' information on this start, sort of case, ethical considerations are going to be very, very important. And that's where jobs will change. Yeah. Whose job is it to think through that? Whose job is it to make sure that your medical record, my medical record don't end up in the public internet? And and so having a data partner that you trust, that secures your data, that's leading edge on AI and where it's going and how do we need to evolve as the AI industry evolves? Very, very, very important. Teradata is a tool for someone else to use. Does it still surprise you like what people are figuring out what they can do with Teradata? It's exciting. It's super <laughs> exciting. You know, there are times where you are surprised, right? <laughs> to, to, see, to see retailers use information about, you know, how do they look at, so I'll, I'll use a restaurant example. So there's a restaurant uh, chain, Brinker International, oh, yeah. 1 million customers dying daily, 1,600 plus restaurants. They need to look at what's going on in their restaurants, what's the inventory, what's the customer traffic pattern, how do we make sure all the restaurants have the supplies they need to continue to run their restaurant. Maybe these restaurants are having a really hot day and these other ones aren't. How do they know where they're located? Obviously, you're not going to ship you know, uh, peppers over continents, but you might ship them within a city or within a geographic area. And so to really think about, to me, it's thinking about the industry in a different way. So as you work in this profession and you see something like restaurants and you think about the inventory they need to manage to ensure that they don't run out of things on the menu, but guess what? Food is perishable. You can't stock it up for weeks in advance. To me, it's exciting. It's fascinating. And it really fulfills our charter as a company. We want to use data to make lives better. We, this restaurant is enabling wonderful dining experiences for their customers. Before joining Teradata, I would not have thought about a million customers dining daily, 500,000 queries against their data set to make sure they have the right supplies to each of those restaurants. So yeah, surprised, excited, very proud of what we're doing to help these companies make their customers happy and improve their lives. 
for anyone listening, Brinkers is the uh, the holding company, or I don't know what to call it, but they own Chili's, Maggiano's, uh, Pepper Dining. There's other restaurant chains in there. And so when you were describing that, I was like, I used to always, th- you know, I agree. I used to always think like that's just the general manager at location one was in charge of general one, location one. Like what, what else does he need to know? <laughs> and so your point, being in this company, in this role, working with some of the customers that we do, you get a whole new perspective on what's going on behind the scenes, but it's very, very exciting, fulfilling to see what they're doing with their data. Well, Erica, you know, I think that where you're at is particularly interesting because you're literally building the technology, like you're hearing the customer's demand or request. Uh, Usually they're thinking about something maybe you've never thought about. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, okay. So now I need to work with my team to build the thing, to do the thing that they want to (laughs) do. And the evolution of customer, consumer, competition, the markets, whatever anyone out there listening wants to think about, the reality is humans are never satisfied and there's they always want something else. And this innovation will not stop. So I think you're going to be needed for quite some time. Internet of things was the phrase, I don't know what that was, seven years ago, right? As we all have these connected devices that are sending data. Yeah. That internet of things is, we don't talk about it much anymore because it just is. Yeah. It's part of our lives. Now, what are we doing with it? So what I think is, what I think when IoT first started, it was more played as like on a consumer level. Like when, when I remember seeing the advertising, oh, you're going to have smart fridges and smart dishwashers and smart buttons and smart. And I think consumers quickly, I don't know. I don't know if even quickly is the right word, but like they might have not have seen the use case that great. And some of the first smart things are like, I don't know. But the sensors on the manufacturing floor, that has been astronomically beneficial for all those companies. Like that is where, that is killer stuff. I I had a really cool example of a a food manufacturing company called Bueller and their ability to scan their crops for aflatoxins and other toxins. They're now able to scan it like at the source versus like even bringing it to a processing plant. I was like, that's crazy. Well, and I think I'll use your example of maybe as the consumer, you don't see the benefit, but at a prior company, we did, support. We had physical products that people had to go out to the field and they had to support them. Well, all good companies, how do I drive down my support cost? That's right. Well, the answer was twofold. One was gathering all that data and looking for what are the patterns. When this happens, then here's the parts you need to go solve that problem. That's simple. That's predictive. We were doing that. And then it also became being able to put videos at the customer site, like a video camera to be able to watch things. And sometimes a video camera where we didn't even send a person, we would talk to them and we would watch them fix the problem themselves. And so as the person who was using our product, yeah, eventually they saw the benefit because they got faster fixed time potentially than us sending a person out there. But all of that data, all that information, all that innovation ultimately kept those devices up and running the machines up and running more efficiently. But you don't always feel it right away. You don't always see it. But with the consumption of data, humans are smart people. We find ways to innovate. We find ways, as you said, there's always demand for more to make it better, make it faster. And in this case, make it much lower cost. Well, listen, I'm going to change, you know, we're running a little low on time, but I want to change the subject a little bit. still about your your domain of expertise. I'm curious for you, what problem would you love someone to solve for you? 
Um, how do I get more sleep? That would be my <laughs> But wait, there's a device for that. There is a device. I don't have one yet, but somebody's working on that with different trackers telling me why I don't sleep as well as I should. But yes, I, I think it's amazing. I think I think people are solving problems before an average consumer even knows they have a problem. I yeah. never would have thought that I need to wear a little ring on my finger to improve my sleep score and get better sleep. But I have friends that have them and they swear it's changed their lives. So what about you? you my, it's uh, it's like Ura, Ura ring, right? Is that where that's one of them? That's one of the brands. That's one of them. That's one <laughs> yeah. of them. I don't currently have one, but now that you've asked me that question, I might need to get one. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you have a really unique seat. You know what I mean? You get to see what other big companies are asking and demanding for demanding of your company, you have to see what your company needs to do to fulfill those demands. And it's pretty cool because that all, it all comes full circle, right? To the consumer, which we are all consumers of something. Uh, and, and we, so I was just curious, like what, what you would love to see to benefit your life. I still stand by it for work. I don't know how this is possible, but I'm still waiting for someone to figure it out. Uh, we've all used project management software before, but project management software is garbage in, garbage out, and it cannot monitor nor oversee what is being done. I'm envisioning a world where project management software is actually connected to the software where the project actually occurs in. And like, imagine you completing a task in product one and your project management tool knows that. Like no one has bridged That's that gap. Great. That is that is great. I mean, we're seeing obviously with some of the tools that are out there, how can developers cut down their development time, right? Repeat those development tasks. But that is a great idea because if you could actually see what was happening <laughs> and update the plan and the status of the task real time, because it's a lot of humans talking to humans right now. Oh, yeah. Project management is one of the most manual. It seems like the, it's it seems like it's close because everything a lot of our work does happen on a computer nowadays. But project management software still is manual updates, manual check ins, man, like even Jira tickets. Right. How do you know Jira tickets? done? Well, I told you it's done. I Meaning I flagged it, but you didn't actually know that it's done. You'd have to just trust that I did it. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, if I was getting better sleep, maybe I would have thought of that idea as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> well. There you go. If you're listening out there and you're in project management, ticket management, or any kind of software, and you can figure out how to integrate it with the actual tools where the work is happening, Erica would thank you. And I'll thank you too. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, it's awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing what, what's happening at the Teradata. Thanks for sharing how businesses are using it to impact consumer experiences. It's a field that is always going to be changing. And uh, you know, I think it's pretty cool Like you have this unique seat where you can see it like literally unfold. Well, great. Well, Albert, thank you for the time. Great conversation. And it's an exciting industry. Data is growing and growing and growing. So we're very happy to be at the forefront of that, helping improve people's lives through data. So thank you for the time. If you're listening here and you're thinking, hey, I want to solve these problems. We know in the world of tech, talent is always it's, it's a talent acquisition game. Well, let's get serious. Like you're always looking for good people. Follow, you know, you can follow up teradata.com. We'll link the, the business and the website, uh, excuse me, in the show notes below. Anyone out there listening? And I'm sure uh, I'm sure Erica would like to meet you. <laughs> Without a doubt. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.